happiest comfort on earth. Hello, Tudor Rickard Show. Welcome to my podcast of creativity in science, the arts, politics and everyday life. This episode, I interview Charles McFarlane, an expert in copyright and the challenges facing the podcaster today. Well, Charles, welcome to Woodford. It's delighted to have you up here. I've already mentioned that one of the exciting parts of your life is evading the traffic wardens in London. Have I got that completely correct? Has anyone caught you yet, or are you still... No, I'm still on the run. You're still on the run? Okay. Well, we're not going to talk about your events like that, but uh, what I would like to talk about is the, the issue about copyright, because I know that uh, the, 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 uh, we're interested in the in thing about yes, copyright. Yes, I think um, there's a couple of points that uh, make copyright. I think there's a general one is that um, many people who you might describe as uh, amateurs or small businesses or independent people are now coming into contact with the world of copyright which they never did before yeah. so therefore if you're doing your own podcast or you're putting together your own website or you're putting together um, uh, something that is digital um, many lay people aren't aware how extensive copyright is no. and there are images and the fact that you can simply download images from the internet makes it very tempting for people just to take that and put it without realising that where it says getting Uh, 
develop things because they fear they're infringing on copyright, or they feel they will have to pay for something in order to develop the thing that they believe is their own idea. Yeah, well, I remember as an, an editor, very often uh, people wanting to publish uh, in a journal would want to have much more ownership over the publication than they actually have got, because once you're into the journal, somehow the, the copyright seems to be held for you on your behalf by the company and people very often didn't want that to happen they wanted to have full control yet publish in a journal and that they were quite difficult people to deal with in fact because I tended to say well if that's the way you want it we'd rather not accept your uh, your particular contribution for the the journal and so that's another thing that, that I've come across in the past well don't worry because of course the journal's argument be, well, they are opening this up to a much wider audience. Exactly, indeed, that's right. You know, and they wouldn't get that good, and so therefore they are entitled to some uh, level of share of what may become a future a future value. So they're not an open source publication. They're no. not simply doing this for no. charity. No. I was thinking the recent example that hit the headlines is the Ed Sheeran case. And I don't know if you've been watching that, but uh, I listened to the the, the music and then the uh, the person that was complaining that it, he had been plagiarised and I must admit I could detect very little difference between the two sets of music when they were put together one after another and I shut my eyes and listened I have to say they seemed enormously similar now I, I want to have a look at the, the judgement before I uh, what in what way was the judge an expert that allowed him to make that statement so presumably it was taken from the evidence that was presented in court and so on but one, one would imagine so of course i mean this uh these type of disputes now have a long uh, now have quite a long pedigree because there is so much um uh, music out there and of course since you know since the rise of the 1950s and 60s um it has uh, become increasingly valuable you've only got to look at the wealth of um uh, pop stars or whatever now, i'm not familiar about what the techniques they are for adjudicating this but i suspect that they have been um, considerably over the years, but obviously some of the challenges are is that uh, there are millions of songs uh, out there, and there are only so many notes and so many bars that you can produce. And so therefore, you must, you know, you're bound to um, uh, have a certain level of uh, similarity with something that's there. And one would imagine that it is purely a subject. There's a large degree of subjectivity about the judge deciding whether or not uh, something is. Um, uh, is copyrighted or has infringed copyright yeah. or not. Yeah. It may well be, of course, that they actually look at the circumstances in which it was created and the other work that um, the particular artist has produced yeah. and the background towards it. The, the other thing that I was thinking about, no, you're sure, you were telling me that stamps themselves have got some very interesting copyright things, and uh, now that we've got a stamp on the cover of my new book, Boris Me and the BBC, I'm a bit worried that the stamp I've got might actually be subject to copyright problems from the post office. Well, from the right, could well be. Because, oh, my goodness me. Well, it's um, uh, because they do uh, naturally, I mean, they, you know, they own on behalf of the crown, the Queen's head, um, but also they, uh, as I recall, own certain issues around um, perforations and the use of the, uh, uh, the use of, of the stamp. So, oh, no. Um, I remember point they made was that um, they've become in recent well recent decades certainly from about um, uh, 1990 or so companies have become much more aware of the intellectual the value of their own intellectual property and so wherefore they, previously they might have been fairly sort of cavalier uh, about not paying particular attention uh, that is no longer the case 
So lots of areas that, um, so I, I'm familiar with a case whereby um, there was an animated um, cartoon was created uh, and the copyright wasn't fully established by uh, the company. Right. When the thing took off, there was then an argument about who owned it, oh, the artist or the... Yeah, 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 yeah. And because the contracts haven't been properly drawn up, uh, then it was uh, it was decided that it didn't be- actually didn't belong to the company. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the world of copyright and intellectual property has now moved on considerably, and intellectual property is one of the first things that is now considered. Yeah, there'll be teams of people in organisations now in a way that well, there wasn't in the past. Teams of people, or they will hire external. Yeah, 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 yeah. You reminded me of something that I was involved with years and years and years ago, with with a well-known manufacturer of, of food products. And, um, well, I can say which one is, is Unilever, and it was the product that was allegedly invented after a focus group with children. And the story goes that uh, they were presenting to the child what they thought was a nice pattern for a new product, and the child said, curly-whirly. Now, of course, curly-whirly did become a product, and as my recollection was, there was an enormous discussion about whether the child could possibly have had enough insight to have created the term curly-whirly, or whether it was the people with them in the, the focus group that would, would have some sort of ownership of the idea. Now, Unilever got round it because they always owned the proper, uh, property of anything that was generated with their, their sort of funding and so on. So I don't think it was a problem. But it's a nice instance of these things about copyright. Can a child actually produce something innocently that then becomes the ownership of the child is the, the issue at that point? Well, that point, yes, and whether or not they would, as a child, would have um, legal status. I mean, I certainly know around um, uh, the copyright of things it tends to focus on is it a generic yeah. the classic one of course was, was Hoover oh right yeah. Hoover um, claimed that it was their uh, uh, it was their brand name uh, but the dispute went to the fact well once it becomes so generic yeah. as a term then you can't really, the way you usually get around it is you actually put in the company's name somewhere in the but I mean what you can't do is it's appropriate for intellectual terms or uh, names that are in general sort of use, so you know you couldn't do it with, you know, say for example, the name Charles or Tudor or whatever. But uh, Tudorama's all right, isn't it? Well, Tudor, well, possibly, providing somebody <laughs> else has got it. They won't. Well, you don't know this, but well, I, well then that's why, of course, you have to do um, the searches. This yeah. is something that's coming whenever you want to brand a product. So uh, you have to get a. Uh, you usually wouldn't do is you get a specialised legal company that will do searches to tell you whether yeah, it's yeah. already. Now, there are rules around this, of course, because what you got were, and which in particular, the, day, the, the uh, internet was um, cyber squatting. Oh. You get people who would, uh, right. they would see uh, a company uh, name that was just starting to develop um, web products, and they would then go and register a load of the names. Uh, and of course, on on the um, on the negative side, you know, they would uh, companies would actually put their own brand name with the word "sucks" after it. Just stop somebody else Splendid. taking it and, and putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so these companies were involved in uh, But it, it is amazing when you try and get um, uh, launch particular products. So, so, you know, using the word royal, well, I mean, you know, lots of companies, lots of countries have monarchies. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Not uh, necessarily uh, getting your intellectual property in, in those uh, companies, but often you'll get where somebody has, has created a name but if they haven't used it commercially after a certain period of time then that protection usually lapses if somebody else comes along and wants to um, uh, 
and wants to use it. What, what, what's the special kind of uh, regulations if someone wants to advertise themselves as um, used by the Queen or something? There's a special term, isn't there? Oh, there's a royal, by royal appointment. By royal appointment, uh, yeah. That, you need a royal warrant to do that. Uh -huh. so, but, I mean, you can call things um, uh, royal because, I mean, you could, you know, uh, Thailand has a royal family, you know, right, lots right. of countries have, um, uh, have royal families. So, I mean, you know, you can use uh, those words here. But, I mean, obviously, if you want to do specific endorsements of a specific person, then obviously, you know, you've got to get their... Um, Yeah, I've come across that. So there's, uh, but it's of course it's a, the whole area of intellectual property is a, uh, is a very, and certainly on the technical side, I mean, you will get um, uh, one of the great values that a lot of the um, uh, companies like Lockheed Martin have is that they put huge resources into their intellectual yeah. property. So as soon as they develop something or develop a particular technique, then they patent it. And even if they don't use it, they then right. use it. So if somebody comes along to try and use it, But is that, is that where this generic versus specific comes into it as well? Well, you can generic versus specific, but of course if they're doing it in a particular, um, in a particular area, oh, yeah. in a particular round of data, then, then they do have it. And one of the things they, these companies push for is on the creative side, is that if they can think of many of the uses that their product will come from, then right. they can potentially register those right. as their right. I think I've seen some patents with those statements attached to them where they're clear they've had a bit of a brainstorming session about what else can we do with this this thing okay well that's that's absolutely fascinating um oh the tudorama thing i was going to mention to you there's actually i did my own research into tudorama before i went with it, I googled it and I found there was one only reference to tudorama and it's a racehorse in australia <laughs> So now I have the faintest idea where that implies what I should do with Tudorama, obviously. Uh, I expect it won't um, impact. I mean, of course, you get these these famous ones of people who have names that are similar, that are the same as, as large companies. And I'm not saying there's something no, no. called Mr. Microsoft. Uh, but, I mean, you yeah, do yeah. get these where, but, I mean, major corporations are pretty aggressive right. going off and defending. And, of course, you know, they can buy people out, which is what they will often do, you know, if they come across an infringement. Yeah. And then copyright that they do think could get a problem, they will simply just buy it off the uh, uh, buy it off the person. But again, if I'm thinking correctly, there have been moves for uh, to try and stop people simply registering names with the purpose of selling them at a later date, and therefore denying you know, a uh, company with a commercial enterprise the ability to. Yeah, I've seen the the, the sort of slight sort of potential conflicts of interest going on and that, in that sort of debate uh, from time to time. Good, well I think that's absolutely fabulous and uh, so we'll have to watch this space in fact whether, whether you shall become a criminal for committing traffic warden crimes or I'll be blocked up for having claims of Tudor armour that I shouldn't be making. Oh absolutely. Well thanks very much indeed Charles, that was excellent. I will now stop this. and go on to find out what I should do about a, an Australian racehorse called Tudorama.